Welcome to Circuitous Conversations with Bill and Dan. This is episode 27. Yes. Uh, for uh, March 6th, 2011. Yes. Do you say you know, 2011 or 2011? Uh, I've never actually said it before. Okay. Out loud. Uh, I probably would say 2011. Yeah, but people get mad about that because they say it was 1911. Why wouldn't it be 2011? I, no, and I, and I did, and I also did say 2010 because I like I just like 2010 as a, as a couple of words to say in a row. Okay. I don't. 2011 sounds stupid. That sounds like 1120. You know, 1130. You know, it's I don't know. Yeah. It's the word 11 is too weird. I'll probably will definitely say 2012. Okay. For sure. For sure. But I don't think I can give you 20, 2011. Uh, okay. 2011 for me. Okay. 2011 is fine. Yep. Uh, so today we're going to talk about something that we kind of ended with last time, mm-hmm. which was the idea of getting a bunch of formats, taking similar pictures, and just taking a look at them and seeing where the pros and cons will out. Yeah. Which we did last week. We did. Uh Give me a rundown of – well, I'll give you a rundown of what I owned that we used. We used a, a Canon 5D Mark II with a 50mm 1.2L lens. Uh, we shot with a Hasselblad 500 with an old 80mm lens, uh, which is pretty old. It was like from the early 70s. Yeah, it's not a T-Star uh, coated glass. It's it is not. T-Star coated glass. It's just one of the old ones. But yeah, it's not the – what's it called? The uh, Is there a new coating? The, yeah, well, there's a new coating in this – the 80 that we have is like th- twice the size of that thing. Oh, here's, is it really? Here's the 2.8 though, right? Yeah, 2.8. Yeah, this is a 2.8 too. It just, uh, I, I, I'm not super familiar with the, the history of Hasselblad lenses, but it's it's definitely a newer one. I would say it's probably from the 80s. And uh, it's just, you know, the one that has that orange plastic thing on it. And yeah, uh, yeah. all the controls are nice and up front, right on the front of the, yeah. you know, towards the front I, of the lens so you can adjust the shutter speed and aperture. I think more of mine, the issues with mine, such that they are pretty minimal, uh, have more to do with the fact that it's just old and it probably has a little bit of smear, the coatings rubbing off or, you know, or just misalignment from the fact that it's 40 something years old, um, rather than like the design change that drastically, because I bet you it hasn't, um, Anyway, so we, that and uh, finally a 4x5 with a 150mm Schneider lens, I think it is, or a 180. I'll have to check. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we did that just as a little thing at the end there. Um, and then you brought along, what would you bring along? Uh, I brought along one of the new-ish Phase 1 cameras, uh, the 645DF. Is that which, the only, do they only have one model? They basically do. There's the, there's the D and then there's the DF. What's the difference? Um, I think the newer one has a faster sync speed or something like that. I, I can't remember what it was. I, honestly, I don't know for sure. Oh, you know what? Maybe one is a focal plane shutter and one is a leaf shutter. Maybe. But I'm pretty sure that has to do with the with the lenses and not with the camera. Yeah, right? but it's weird because some lenses have shutters, but the camera doesn't use the shutter in there. It uses the shutter in front of the... Mm. I don't could know. Be. It's weird. Anyway, it we could can look be. it up. But yeah, and the, the lens we use with it is one of the... The uh, leaf shutters. It's the eighty millimeter two point eight leaf shutter lens, right. the Schneider, um, which is pretty nice. Um, and that came with its uh, its properly fitted Phase One P sixty five plus back. And yes. I also brought along uh, another Phase One P sixty five plus back, um, which is for the Hasselblad V system, uh, which was easily attached to Bill's. Which I will say impressed me how well that worked considering you're bolting on 2010 technology onto a camera that's 40 years old. Pretty cool. I mean, I don't, I I mean, there's no reason why it shouldn't work. It's just amazing that it actually does. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I I remember the first time I saw that, I'm like, no fucking way. Yeah. That is, that is cool. Because it's funny because I met a girl who had recently switched to Hasselblad from Mamiya. She used to be be a, a RZ shooter. Yeah, this was years ago, like three, four years ago. This girl Catherine, I knew, and uh, and she switched over because she started assisting this guy who shot Hasselblad. So she switched to Hasselblad. She bought a bunch of five five fives or whatever the latest, whatever it was. Uh-huh. Is. And one of the reasons was because you know it worked better with digital. And I'm just thinking to myself now, I'm like, what could it possibly do that would be any different? I can tell you. What will it do? Well, first of all, uh, to use 
any kind of a phase one back on a hustle, on a RZ, as far as I know, uh, they don't make a native RZ mount because the, the RZ is just so darn big. You know, yeah. it, it's the, the, the back is the physical back of the camera is just, it's, it's a larger, it's got a bigger hole in it, so to speak. It is the size of a tank. I used to have one. Yeah, it's huge. So what you need to do, uh, is purchase this, and I think it's 1200 bucks, this rather pricey adapter plate, gotcha. which phase one makes, um, and then that basically steps down from the RZ back to a standard V mount back. So that's okay. so that is one piece, you know. And then that has to be connected to the front of the camera. Um, I'm not sure how familiar you are with the RZ yep. setup, but there's a little multi-pin connector underneath the lens, yep. which is like the electronic shutter control. Uh, so the the, the 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 plate needs to be attached to the camera physically and electronically. Uh, and then the then the V back goes onto that plate, and then you still need to sync your lens from the lens, you know, the shutter, the PC port on the lens so to, wait, what exactly to the digital is, back as well. What exactly is the body to adapter plate thing doing? Um, that well, that basically lets the the body control the back because the you know um, oh because some of the newer RZs are actually like digital capable. Mm-hmm, exactly. Okay, but what what about the difference between the new Hasselblad fives and the old ones? What would be the advantage of a new Hasselblad 5 body? Um, none that I could think of. That's, um, and that's what I was kind of thinking. I was like, why did you go do that? Why don't you buy a couple of 501s well, you know, I, used and I just know. use that? Well, I, I guess some of the newer ones have um, uh, maybe brighter brighter finders or something. Or maybe they have uh, maybe. maybe quieter mirrors. She or... wasn't a particularly techie photographer. Yeah, so, I, I don't know enough about Hasselblad. So she history. she probably just believes whatever the salesman told her, you know. I guess. I mean, I can tell you why people choose the five 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 over the five hundred three, and that's just because of the motor. Um, if you're if you're a motorized shooter, right. um, the five 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 is really nice because it's like super, like concise. You know, it's like yeah. the motor is built in; it doesn't take up a ton of extra room in the, on the body. Um, you can don't get me wrong; you can get a motor winder for a five hundred three, but that adds considerable bulk to the camera. I mean, although some people like that because it, it actually the 503 motor is this nifty, uh, very substantial looking handle, uh, like a, like a full yep. size grip. Yep. Um, and that, that's kind of cool for, for a larger camera. I will say though, that whenever I shoot my Hasselblad, I mean, this mine has an old school knob winder, not even like the speed winder thing that you can get. Yeah. Um, and you know what? I don't mind it because, but I'm not shooting with it the way. If I was some fashion shooter who was shooting fast with a Hasselblad, yeah. which there probably are less of them today than there used to be, yeah, um, maybe. But I kind of like the fact that I'm taking a picture and then it takes me a second to recock. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, but that's that's like you know complaining that the Leica M9 cocks automatically versus the thumb thing, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's, just, and I, it's a it's a vintage feel thing. I gotta say, I, I am a little bit more fond of the RZ style uh, shutter cock than the Hasselblad style because the RZ well, has yeah. that nice little lever, and you yeah. get right there under your thumb, you push the button with your you know ringer. I'm sorry, with your middle or index finger, and your thumb is right there on the yeah. wider. No, the the winder is is cool on the RZs. They're just built like tanks. Yeah. I mean, it's literally twice the size of the Hasselblad for only a very, very slightly larger film back. Totally, totally nice. Um, You know, it's it's the 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 difference between those two is very much the difference between Japan and Germany. (laughs) Yeah, I guess you you can say that. Yeah, Um, definitely. uh, Okay, so you brought these two digital backs. We used my digital camera and a couple film cameras. Yep. Um, my friend Chris Keating came over mm-hmm. and graciously sat as still as he could for us for an hour. He did a good job. No, he did do a good job. He's a sweet kid too. Very, very nice guy. Mm-hmm. Um, Hell of a jacket on that guy. Yeah. <laughs> we actually took some, some of those pictures aren't bad. They're nice. Like I like the one that I chose to put up on the blog as that night. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he's, he's a good subject cause he, he's, he's, Standard. He's like normal looking, but he's also interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so we tried to take the same light. We set up uh, one strobe with a big octabox on it. When I say big, I mean like five foot across. Um, and uh, set a level. Shot with the medium format at what f eight at Something ISO like one hundred. Uh, took some pictures of Chris uh, with both the digital backs. Shot a few frames with the Hasselblad film. Um, and then took some pictures with the 5D 
in a similar setup uh, and then took a picture with the large format at the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I went and got it developed and I looked them all, looked at that, uh, at them all. And the medium format backs are very, very nice. Whether they're worth $40,000 is a question, but th- you know, that's, that's we, what we can get into. One, one thing I did, uh, well, there's a number of things I noticed. First of all, let's just say that this is actually a very hard comparison to do for a number of reasons. One, yeah. Getting equivalent focal lengths and shots because they're all different ratios. Yeah. Right? Yep. There's that. Um, there's the fact that depth of field at f8 on a large format camera, medium format, and 35 so are totally going to be different. completely different. Right. Yeah. So if you're really going to do it, you'd have to figure out which are the equivalent focal uh, uh, depth of field uh, apertures. Right. And then reset the light depending on what format you're on and use a meter that's down to a tenth of a stop. I mean, you could get super anal about it. We weren't getting super anal. No, about no, it. we were just doing it kind of on the fly. Yeah, uh, you'd have to do that. You'd also have to. Uh, what was the other thing I came up with? That was oh, the fact. I so that, yeah, the film we were shooting with was uh, 160 because most of the pro films kind of drop out at low uh, low ISO. They're not ISO 100. They're usually 160 for both Kodak and Fuji. Right. So we overexposed the film a little bit, which for C41 film isn't that big of a deal. It's a half a stop. Um, and I pulled it back when I scanned them. Um, but there was that. Uh, and then there was the fact that I, th- I, you know, I wonder what the, what is the floor, the, the base ISO of those backs? Is it 50? 50 is as low as they go. Which actually theoretically would probably be their best quality. Yeah. yeah. Not that it was bad at 100 in any way. I just, uh, you know, a fair test would be to put that at 50, but putting the cannon at 50 gives the cannon a disadvantage because when you go to 50, you actually supposedly lose a little bit of dynamic range, though I haven't noticed it myself visually. Mm. So what did you think while we were shooting? What did I think about while we were shooting or while we were shooting? While we were shooting. Um, uh, well, can you be more specific? We, 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 we did shoot tethered, I, I might point out. Oh, um, that's true. Uh, yeah, I mean, when these things were coming up, I mean, were you? did they look the way you wanted them to look? Uh, well, yeah, yeah, I wasn't really, you know, I, I was kind of letting you yeah. run that, that show. Um, right. and I was just more concerned with making sure everything was coming in. Okay. Well, I guess that, that begs the question. The focus question is a big thing. Yeah. Focusing these medium format backs is tragically hard, which is, which is to why get we, accurate. we shoot tethered. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so if you're shooting people and uh-huh. you're not stopped down to F11 or F16, yeah. Prepare to have a lot of out-of-focus shots. Right. Uh, how do they deal with that, like, in, at work? Yeah. Do they just deal with that and, like, okay, well, some of them just are no good? No, we sh- they shoot a shitload of shots, dude. They right, shoot, right. They shoot a ton. Right, and then they go through and they pull the ones that are slightly out. Yeah, and then it, it, and honestly, I think it depends on the photographer. Sure. Um, and it depends on the the kind of the, the scene. I mean, if it's catalog stuff where it's just simple white background type stuff, they, 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 they'll just crank it down to, you know, to 11 or 16 even. Um, yeah. And then as long as the model's on their mark, um, it doesn't really matter, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They'll crank, crank through stuff. But then you see some some stuff where these guys get a lot more creative and you can tell some of it's handheld and <laughs> some of it's just, just not in focus. Yeah, you know, it's, yeah. it's hard to shoot handheld is what we learned. Yeah. Um, it's also hard to, even with the big focusing screen on the Hasselblad or on the, the, the uh, viewfinder on the phase, yeah. Even knowing that you're in focus, not even like being able to control shake or, you know, distance or like, you know, your heartbeat and you're shaking a little bit. Yeah. Um, even taking that out of the equation, even knowing that you're in focus, you may think you're in focus. You take the picture, you look and it's out of focus. Yeah. Um, it's it's and, that, and, that, and that goes for autofocus on the phase and manual focus on the Hasselblad, even with the loop. I was surprised at how big the focus point is on the phase. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you have it on the eyes, and it might be grabbing the forehead. Yeah, it's it's a, kind of a, an unfortunate. Um, I don't know. You can call it a, a misconception or whatever. You, you would think that. Oh, okay. I'm spending X amount of dollars on this this you know state of the art current technology camera. Um, so it's going to have to be at least as good as as this cheaper camera. Yeah, not so um, much. It's just just not the it's not the way it works. I mean, let, let's talk about the six four five DF. Uh, specifically right now, sure. there's a couple of things that are really weird 
about it. First of all, like you say, um, the autofocus system is, you know, uh, it, it's super primitive. I, I would say it's like, it's like old school, like Nikon 8008, you know, like 15 yep. years, you know, it's like, oh, cool. We've just figured out how to make autofocus, you know, economically viable and let's put it on our cameras for professionals to use. You know, that, I mean, sure. 15 years ago, that was, that was cool. But yeah. as far as the speed is concerned, as far as the flexibility is concerned, accuracy, I mean, it still uses a giant red led light, you know, to, to shoot onto the, to the subject. I mean, don't get me wrong. That's a lot of, all the cameras still have that to some degree, but this, it just felt, it, it feels very retro. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you think that, and, and the other thing that kind of throws me for a loop, is like, it's not that like they don't have enough room inside the camera. I mean, the camera's physically huge. So it's like, you, there, there should be plenty of room in there for the, the, you know, the, the computer, the boards, chips, whatever, you know, that is required to do that kind of, uh, that kind of work. The only thing I can think of would be maybe they don't want to compromise on those lenses. Um, because I know that, you know, half of the autofocus equation it's not just the body uh it's the lens as well and these lenses yeah, but if are, you do it like I, you know i wonder is the motor in the body or the lens uh i'm pretty sure if you could do it old school body. nikon style right where it's just basically automatically manually focusing if you know what i mean right, like right. well what i was going to say is I, I have a feeling because the lenses are so um fancy so to speak and they are you know that they are there are shutters in there um, maybe, maybe they can't afford to put the kind of like high speed, low noise, like low audio noise, um, yeah. autofocusing technology in those, because that would screw up, you know, that would compromise the image quality or something like that. Well, I, they I, are, no, they I, are no moving around bigger pieces of glass. I, I think it's less of a technical thing and more of a, I think that, uh, Canon and Nikon and Sony and even like the smaller guys like have spent... Yeah, have spent 30 years doing small, like, and they have all these patents and all the rest of it. Yeah. And that the big, all these medium format guys, they just don't, I don't think they just, I think it comes down to the fact that they don't know how to do autofocus as well. Yeah. Like, they don't have the technical know-how to know how to do it as well. Yeah, and and I guess I would also say that um, it's probably not as big of a priority for them because, you know, you have to remember the, the, the number of, cameras out in the field for these guys is a fraction of what yeah. Canon and Nikon have. And, and, you know, and so these guys have to pay. There's hundreds or, th- or thousands of them at tops versus yeah. Tens millions. or hundreds Tens of, of thousands. Yeah, of, exactly. Of, yeah, exactly. So they have to, I think they have to choose their battles. The other cr- huge critical um, uh, point for me, as from a usability standpoint for the 645DF, um, is it's like super old school primitive programming mode. Yeah. Um, now, you know, any, any modern day camera is going to have a handful of, uh, of, of options. I, I would ballpark it at, you know, there's 25, maybe 30, you know, assorted settings that you should be able to make adjustments on, yep. um, anywhere from, from like what buttons do what to what mode, you know, what your preferences are for the, you know, for some defaults, just little things like that. Um, and, uh, for example, on a, on a Canon or Nikon system, it's pretty simple. You, you, you kind of take the camera in your hands, you, you, you point it down, you hit the menu button, and then you use like a little D-pad or, or the wheels, you know, the, the dials and the buttons to, to navigate the menus, and you flip them on and off. It's very straightforward. It's a, there, you know, there's a nice big screen and colors and, and you know, mul- you know, words to describe what you're, you know, what you're doing. You don't need to bust out the manual or anything like that. Um, the older, now coming up on 10 years old, uh, Hasselblad H, H1 and H2, and I can only assume H3 and H4 are like this too because they look very, very similar. They have a, it's a teeny weeny little screen. Uh, if I had to give you uh, is it just dimensions. the screen on the top or is there one on the back? On the H? Yeah. Yeah, there's just the screen on the top. Um, I, I would ballpark it at about an inch, maybe an inch and a half by an inch and a half. It's not terribly Is it actually big. LCD or is it like just like a weird little, like um, like the old school segmented LED, LCD? It's an, it's an old school black LCD. Right. Um, it's pretty high res, actually. I would say it's. it's I mean, it's high res enough to put a histogram on. I mean, they. Okay. they you know, there's. There's. I, if I had to guess the resolution, I would say maybe it's a thousand by a thousand. I mean, okay. it's not. It's not huge. It's. It's little, but it's enough where they can actually like change the look of the screen. Um, so, you know, you know, depending on what mode you're in, you can drop in and you know different little bits of text, and they use um, the whole soft button thing 
where there are three or four buttons across the top and sides. And then at, depending on what screen you are, you can use the buttons to save or hit OK or whatever uh, or go back and forth. And then there's the, the wheels, you know, the knob in the front or dials in the front and, and back to, to, to slip, uh, switch through the different options. Um, it, it, it's really intuitive. And, you know, I had it sorted out within the first two minutes of holding it in my hands, you know, and, and you just right. kind of dig through the menus and you can set your preferences as is and, and no, no worries. But with the phase one, um, it's, it's a little less intuitive. Um, the way you program the phase one, well, first of all, its display is really retro. Uh, it, it has a similarly sized inch and change uh, squared uh, LCD on the top of it, but uh, it uses the old school like digital watch style segmented yes. style. So it's not a it's not a it's not a grid. It's not like a giant little screen that you know you can put a histogram or anything like that on it. It's just got it, you know it's more like the like on a like on the top of an icon or a or a Canon where there's like you know there's there's a, a bunch of preset little icons that could light up if you need them and then there's you know the a couple of you know the standard you know digital you know whatever the nine segment you right. know digital. So everything's done as custom functions. Yeah. So so what happens is you, if you want to like program C09, what yeah, setting? Exactly. Yeah. So if you want to program this thing, you have to first of all change modes. So you can't leave the camera in aperture priority or manual focus order. You got to turn the mode wheel. Uh, to CF mode, which is custom function mode. Gotcha. Uh, and then there are custom functions ranging from like, I think, zero, zero to like 28 or something like that. Which and you then, need all the manuals for. And then you need, they, they do print a little cheat sheet that you can take with you so that you can refer to, oh, okay, if I want to change um, the, uh, like the, the classic one that we do, the, the first thing we always change is, is, the, is the location of the, uh, or the function of the uh, autofocus button. Because uh, a lot of our photographers like to use autofocus on their thumb as opposed to on the shutter, um, so you can you can do that. You can put the autofocus uh, you know manual override so to speak on the uh, on the AEL button, which is right on the back above your thumb, um, and that's like mode like eleven or twelve. And then and then when you're in there, it doesn't even tell you what it is. It just says you know mode twelve, and then there's a zero or a one to let you know if it's on or off. Sweet binary. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean. So I mean, it's all I, and very don't get me wrong. I, I get it. I mean, it, it makes sense to me on on one level. I mean, sure, it makes that, sense to an engineer, but it wouldn't make sense <laughs> but, to a photographer. But who are they expecting? Yeah, exactly. I mean, the this, problem is, this is not photographers are kind of idiots. <laughs> I, I know. So I mean, I gotta wonder what what were they thinking? I mean, what's yeah. what's the story with that? You know, I mean, I I liked using the big camera, uh, the phase when I was playing with it over here. Mm-hmm. Um, it's big. It's heavy, but that's to be imagined. Um, yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. I was actually uh, pleasantly surprised by the interface on the phase backs themselves wasn't nearly as bad as I thought it would be. But maybe they've improved that over the past five years. Well, they did. Uh, have you seen? It used to be the, real bad. The new the IQ series, this new series of yeah. phase one backs that yeah. came out. I yeah. mean, holy crap! That's like now they're now now it's something to contend with. I mean, it's got a touchscreen for yeah. one thing. I mean, it's basically got the same. It's like like got an iPhone based touchscreen on it. Now, um, now really nice. these files are also big. Yeah, a little bit. Which we'll get into in a second. Um, but yeah, well, actually, let's just jump to that for a second. The, sure. I mean, I don't. I didn't do that much to these images, uh, but even the one I was playing with that I was actually really trying to do my stuff to uh-huh. ended up being 1.6 gigs, mm. and I didn't even have that many layers in it. But you kept it at its native. I mean, that was what a sixteen-bit file, right? Na- native res, sixteen bits. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it was it was well, it was three times the size of the equivalent five D file, right? Right. So just out of the just like just yeah, at, once you got it up to a photo, you know, in in uh, converted to a Photoshop file, uh, it started out, you know, at what? Yeah. I mean, easily. Uh, it's probably hundred and sixty yeah. megs or something. Over well, but, you well know, over hundred megs. It's funny because. Um, you don't really think about it, but everything you know, if if you're working on a 20 megapixel file like most of these digital SLRs top out at, and you jump to a 60, if you're used to the 20s, everything gets multiplied by three. You know, yeah. Um, so it's it's. I mean, I know this technically, I know it intuitively, but when you're actually working on the file, you're like, oh man, this is huge. Yeah. And I've got a fairly serious computer with 12 gigs of RAM. Yeah. If I was working on these more, I would definitely max out to 24. Um, so that, I mean, there's that too. It's like, yeah, you're spending 40 grand on the, on the camera. Right. But 
you're also using that much more storage. You're using you need that much more RAM to actually manipulate the files. Well, definitely the other thing is uh, I was, I was bringing chatting. up previews in in, in Lightroom <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, and I was chatting with the retoucher about this stuff, and she was saying how. She hates these large files because all of her brush sizes are all out of whack, you know, because... Ah, you know what? Yeah. That's totally it. One of the things that I do sometimes is I sort of do this weird vignetting kind of effect. Mm-hmm. Basically, I create a a, a, a a curves layer. I pull it down a little bit to darken it, and then I make an oval selection, and then I diffuse that selection, mm-hmm. or I uh, feather it. Mm-hmm. And the most that it'll feather out to on, on in Photoshop is 250. Uh-huh. Uh, anything more than that, it won't do it. So I do 250, and then I hit whatever, but which is which works out to be okay on the 5D files. You do that on the medium format files, and it's like almost a hard edge because yeah. they're so high res. It's true. And you're like, wow, my entire workflow has to change. <laughs> yeah, the sizes of the sizes of brushes, absolutely. Um, yeah, the way I did a lot of stuff, or the or uh, any sort of sharpening. Right, stuff another, you're going another to big do? tool that they use in fashion is the liquify tool. Yep, uh, and that uh, you know that took I, oh, actually yeah. that liquify that was, is slow enough as it is. Let alone right. well, like they, when they actually to... fixed it in uh, in CS5. Finally, CS5 is big enough to handle you know the, the, even the largest size is now reasonable to use with the large format files. Because in the past versions, it, apparently it was. I don't. I mean, yeah, I, I don't use it myself, so I don't know. But apparently, the um, older version was too small. Things that I was very impressed with with the files. Um, we when we first started out, I took a file that was way overblown. And if you want to go see some of this stuff, I wrote a post on my blog. If you go to ontakingpictures.com, scroll down a bit. Um, I th- there is a uh, I t- we shot this picture. It was probably two or three stops too hot. Mm-hmm. Completely blown out most of the most of the thing. Mm-hmm. And I pulled it back three stops in Lightroom, and it actually had data in it. Now, yeah. you can do that with digital SLRs and probably get a stop, a stop and a half, maybe two stops if you're lucky. Right. You know, um, This was a full three stops that I pulled it back, and it, there was info in there. That yeah. was incredible. Um, there was There's less noise in the shadows. I noticed that. Yep. Um, not monumentally less noise, and there still is a little noise. Right. Um, and you can't pull up the shadows as much as I... Th- it's not the equivalent of the highlights, you know. No. You can't pull up the shadows as much as you can pull back the highlights. So, you know, it's funny because most of the time that I shoot digital, you know, everyone always says expose to the right and then pull it back after the fact. I do that sometimes, but I also notice sometimes that it looks different than had you shot it at the proper, quote-unquote, exposure, <laughs> visually exposure. You don't always get quite the same thing because I – I feel like the the sensors and a lot of these things are not quite linear, you know, so that when you're hitting it with more light and pull it back in post, yeah, it, it somehow looks different than had you shot it at that lower thing to, to begin with. Anyway, yeah. Um. So, so I'm surprised that the the shadows didn't open up quite like. I mean, it was very good, but it wasn't that much better than the digital SLRs I've seen. But the the highlights were amazing. Um. That was like, wow, okay, that's very cool. <laughs> um, so, I mean, those things were very, very cool. I mean, the sharpness, absolutely. Yeah, it's kind um, of insane. The, the, of course, there is no anti-alias filter in front of the sensor. So, you know, theoretically, you can get all these more patterns and whatnot in some fabrics. Although, I don't shoot the kind of stuff that usually gets that. But you can, you can um, also repair that stuff in Photoshop. Pretty easy. Yeah, you know, it's funny, though, that I... I used to get that more on my old 5D than the 5D2, like on the 12 megapixel 5D. Where's the 5D2? And the other day, I was looking through some old pictures from 365 Portraits, and I decided to reprocess one of them. Yeah. Just to see if if the new raw processors were that much better, you know. And they are. (laughs) They are, but not like... I, I actually... I redid it, and I made different artistic changes, uh, choices, but I didn't... It didn't change it as much as I thought it would, you know? Uh-huh. Uh, anyway, the point was is that I went back and opened up some old 5D files, the 12 megapixel files, and God, they're small compared to the... Even the 5D2. I mean, it's almost twice as many, you know? Well, yeah, that makes sense. You, I mean, it's like... Like, they look so low res that I was like, really? Is that all there is? You know? <laughs> like, I, I hit zoomed 100%, and it's like it just zooms like a little bit up to the screen. I was like, really? Um, anyway, it's just... You just get to... So, compared to those, to the, to the phasebacks... It's a whole other ballgame. But yeah, sharp sharpness to, to die for, if that's what you're into. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, although, you know, it would be interesting to go in and take um, one of those files, like even a, a, a 3DS or whatever file, and try to sharpen it similarly. Because a lot of times you just use the default sharpening in Lightroom, and they don't actually put that much sharpening on, you know. Mm. Um, you could compensate a little bit for that, yeah. uh, I guess, if you wanted to. But, uh, but yeah, but then again, you get into the whole question of whether or not it was sharp in the first place, and there's a lot of – your technique is – it's unfailing. Your technique has to be great, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Um, or you need which, to just have, like, people who are, like, you know, to help you out. And keep yes. on top of that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it was, it was interesting, and even and I will say that the I think that the phasebacks gave more resolution than film did in the Hasselblad, mm-hmm. um, and probably almost as much resolution as the large format four by five. Almost. Yeah, I believe that. Maybe the, maybe the eighty megapixel backs or whatever they're working on now. Yeah. The new ones that came out. Yeah, maybe okay. those kind of go up that one level where it's like, okay, now we're definitely in large format territory. Yeah. Um, but it was, yeah, it was, the resolution was impressive. Now, this begs the question, do you need the resolution? Um, yeah, well, I guess it depends on what you're doing, doesn't it? Right. But I did put that, that um, comparison of five different shots, similar shots up on the blog too. Where uh, you and Kent and a few other people commented guessing which was which. Now, I realize after the fact that what I should have done is only put one of the medium format backs up. Yeah. Because if you saw two that were very, very similar, you're like, oh, those are the same camera. And that sort of took those two out of the running, yeah. as it were. Um, but even then, they look pretty darn similar. No, it's true. It's true. And, you know, um, so... The question is, if you're doing stuff like you in previous podcasts even have mentioned that you don't print much. Nope. But that's so, just me personally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, so even the resolution in your D3 probably isn't getting used 90% of the time. No, it's true. I mean, it, most of the stuff, in fact, this, you know, the, the bulk of the work that I've done in the past, um, which is, I granted, I, I'm not really working as a photographer that much these days, but um, that's going to change soon. Um, and, uh, the stuff that I have been doing has all been basically for web, web press, you know, documentation type stuff. Right. And honestly, I mean, uh, I think it's safe to say that, uh, as long as you're using, you know, sharp enough lenses and and you have enough light, the right light, it doesn't, you know, that's really the, that's what really matters more. Um, and and I think we've proven that, you know, we could, in fact, I've even, um, when I, I went through a huge, um, eBay, um, buying what a spree? Call it? no selling spree, selling spree. Yeah. Last year, last There's January, one or the other. yeah, last January, I like to the, to the extent where I actually took my, you know, a desk, set up a little white, you know, background, seamless background, um, put two lights on, you know, stands and, and even had like a, a magic arm, um, with my old Nikon D70 my first digital camera. Um, and, 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 you know, not the world's sharpest lens. One of those, uh, what is it? A 24 to one Oh five, just, you know, three, five sure. you know, with a variable zoom, you know, variable aperture. Um, just cause I wanted to leave it on the, on the table. I left the whole thing, you know, I left everything plugged in, um, and just turned it on when I needed it. Um, but because I was getting such nice, you know, light from the, I could, you know, I think I had a softbox on one side and umbrella on the other, just, you know, really simple, uh, two light setup. Um, and the shots looked great. You know, yeah. the shots were nice and sharp and nice and crisp and yeah. the light and was you're good. You're shrinking and, them down to 800 yeah. pixels yeah. anyway. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so, I mean, I think that there are situations where a lot of resolution would be cool. I would have loved to have one of those, you know, up in the fields shooting at Yosemite. Mm-hmm. But did I, do you need it? It's, you know, the, I think that there, those situations are much more few than... It's funny because... It used to be that digital SLRs, say, topped out at, back in the day, 8 megapixels or, you know, 10 megapixels. Or I think the, the first 1DS, which was the sort of first real pro digital camera, mm-hmm. uh, was 11 megapixels. And at the time was, this was like, oh my god, 11 megapixels, unbelievable. And at the time, medium format maxed out at, I think, 16, uh, you know, was that 16 megapixels, maybe, the backs? 
mm-hmm. which which probably cost the same amount that these 80 megapixel backs cost now. They sure did. And you kind of think back and you go, okay, well, if they were shooting five years ago with uh, something that was 16 megapixels or 20 megapixels, and they were using it professionally, we're not printing any bigger now than we were five years ago. There's no bigger billboards, you know. People were shooting billboards. Um, so you got to question, like, why do we keep going up for what? What are we printing? You know, that we what, – what can you do with an 80 megapixel that you can't do with a 40 megapixel or a 60 megapixel? Yeah, um, I don't know. And the other, the other thing to, to kind of keep in mind um, that we haven't even scraped the surface of uh, is printing technology. Oh, yeah. Um, something that's really kind of come a long way in the past 10 years um, is printers. printers yeah. You know, oh, now yeah. – the, the I mean, if you go to Times Square, you're not seeing um, these, you know, multi-segmented type of, you know, wallpaper uh, that, you know, printed out on several sheets of paper and then glued together type of billboards. Now everything is just done on a giant-ass piece of vinyl. Yep. Um, although they do they do the multi-things of vinyl and they, they glue them together. But they, because the, I, get, I think because the, the, what do you want to call it, the, the way the paper, the way the vinyl looks, it, it has a much more... Uh, dense look to it, and they can print them at much higher resolutions, and they look they look really darn good. Yeah, but you're still looking at them from 40 feet away. You know? Still, I mean, you you can still tell a sharp you know a sharp image from a oh, not a sharp image. Oh sure, sure, but like you know, but can you tell 60 from 80 megapixels? You know, uh, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. Um, and I just think that it's interesting that we keep upping, upping, upping the input, but we're not actually doing that much different in the output. You know. And yeah, you're doing you're printing them as one big roll, but I don't think you're starting from a a file that's that much bigger, you know. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's it's interesting. I think the whole thing is fascinating. Um, I thought our just doing the little shootout was really cool. Um, I don't know. I I learned a lot, but just mostly just actually seeing. There were things that I was impressed with, and then there were things that I was like, oh, really? I kind of wanted more. Um, but I don't know. That's that's the way it came out for me. It was fun. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I mean, I, I, I've done it a couple of times now. I've done you know shootouts at work, and then with a couple of other friends, and uh, I kind of knew I've, I've arrived at the same sort of conclusions that you did. We, I haven't done the film thing, um, and I, that was what I was most interested in, and uh, and that was surprisingly that was a lot. You know, the film looked a lot better, I guess, than I was expecting. And then th- this, we should also mention that you don't even have a proper film scanner. You're just using No, I, I scan those on an Epson flatbed, yeah. Yeah, so they um, won't even... If like- you were scanning those on, on a real... You know, it's funny because that's actually the hard part about shooting... If I had shot these as um, slides, if I shot Chrome, mm-hmm. it would be easier to get the color the same mm-hmm. um, because it's just dead on. The problem with negatives is that you have to compensate for the yellow, the orange-ish of, of, of the substrate yeah. of the film itself. Um, and all the different films are different. Right. And w- what we should have done is actually shot a frame with uh, the color card. Yeah. I, that, you know, that's the, that was the first thing I was thinking, too. Um, I, I uh, thought about it after the <laughs> fact. I was like, you know what? Had we done that, then we could have you know, yeah. white-balanced these all easily. But yeah. Um, the, uh, but yeah, so when you're, when you're bringing it in, I remember one time I rented time on an Imacon scanner. Oh, nice. Those are the nice to use. For sure. Yeah, and I, I scanned some, uh, some Hasselblad negatives. And they looked beautiful, like really beautiful. But again, the shadows weren't that much better. There wasn't that much less noise. The only big difference um, was the fact that they had custom profiles for each film type. Yeah. So that they did the inverse of they did the color conversion perfectly. Right. You know, I mean, they were it was beautiful. It was like okay, well, that was worth it. Fifty bucks for renting this for a half an hour or whatever. Right. Um, but the uh, you know that was a big deal. You know, one other thing too that I mentioned to you uh, was that the white balance of the two medium format backs was way off from each other. Yeah, and I, I, I you know it could be something that was inherently set in the camera. I don't remember how if those things. I don't think they I mean, it's do. It's raw file. It should be 
data. Yeah, I don't think that I don't think that the settings carry over on the back. I think it I may think be all... that they're just not that well calibrated because they figure most people are doing so much to the pictures anyway. That's probably a safer bet, Gom. And I've, I mean, I've definitely seen wild white balances between like a P30 and a P45 or a P45 and a P65. But you'd think that these are both P65s. The only real significant difference is the physical mount. Yeah, it's yeah. physical things. So. I was actually I, that actually surprised me. I thought to myself, this is. Sixty, seventy thousand dollars worth of camera gear, and they don't have these things lined up to each other. Mm. You know, I figured that those things would be more like precision watches than they kind of were. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, I guess um, physically they were. You have to, yeah. I mean, they were no. They're they're physically, well, they're beautiful, but they're it just seems together. like you you think they'd be calibrated at the at the studio, as it were. You know, at the factory. Yeah. You know, um, to come out okay. Yeah, when it's on daylight, it's dead on daylight. You know? Yeah. Um, so that was a, I was a little surprised about, but other than that, uh, they were pretty much like I expected. I don't know; it was interesting. Yeah. Um, the uh, yeah, it was fun, but they uh, they they were very very cool. I I actually it made me. You said that the film looked good to you. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it didn't surprise me that the film looked good. Uh, it did. It did surprise me that I didn't prefer the film actually. It surprised me that they all looked as similar as they did, which kind of brings you back to the thing of like, oh, well, do you really need film, you know? Yeah. And, and, and I don't know that you do. Although I will say that when I shoot black and white film, I notice a more of a difference than when you're shooting black and white. Digital. Well, that's, I think, yeah. And I think I was actually waiting. I was just going to say the, I think the only really um, solid argument for film versus digital is, is black and white. Yeah. Um, and that, cause that also, don't forget, there's also, um, there's the input and then there's also the output. Um, yep. and don't get me wrong. There's, de- there's been some tremendous developments, um, in the whole black and white to eight or 10 or however many color inks they, they're doing nowadays. Um, and you know, it's gotten really good, but man, I mean, I don't need to tell you this. There's, there's just no substitute for whatever, you know, the deck tall or, you know, road yeah. or whatever the, what, yeah. you know, whatever that crap is on that paper, you know, in a dark room, I mean, there's just, there's just nothing like it. You know, no, I mean, absolutely. there's just, there's just no, there's something, I mean, that now we're, now we're getting into, you know, two inch tape versus, yes. you know, six, 16 bit digital talk yeah. here. I mean, there's, and don't get me wrong. They both look and sound fine, but you know, you can pick them out if you, if you, if you know what you're doing. Yeah. Uh, and, and I will, <coughs> the big differences I notice are when I'm shooting, uh, like the Polaroid 55 definitely has a different look that I've been unable to replicate in digital. Um, yeah. But, you know, but again, th- this is, this is, that gets into it, right. Like you were saying, it gets into, Oh, well this was recorded analog or whatever it is. Most people have no idea. Most people who are recording two inch analog have no idea, you know, like don't really know the difference. They, you know, it's sort of like the people who think that some particular wine is really good when they really don't have that good of a taste buds, but they're acting as if they do. Mm-hmm. Um, most people don't have the ears to know the difference between really good digital and really good analog. No, theoretically, no. really good digital and really good analog should sound almost identical. Mm-hmm. You know. No, and, um, and I think what happens is it gets it gets to this point where it's exponential. So, like, you know, you can get all the way up to that ninety ninety five percent with with the whatever you want to call it with the quote unquote lower end or lesser expensive stuff, and the the additional. Uh, magic that the super high-end premium stuff delivers you for that 10, 10x price increase right. um, is only, it, you know, it's only whatever, you know, like it's within, that, it's that remaining that last like 10%. 5 to 10% better, yeah. you know, and, and and for most people, they won't necessarily see that or appreciate that. But then again, and a lot, and a lot of know, people end up fetishizing that stuff it's well true. beyond what it's worth. Was Were those backs nice? Yes. If I could spend ten thousand dollars and get one of those setups, would I do it? Yes. Mm-hmm. Am I going to spend forty or fifty thousand dollars with lenses on one of those? Absolutely not. No, but but you would know, you, if would I'm you... going to rent it, yeah. yeah. If, it's, yeah. if it's for a shoot and somebody else is paying for it, sure. Yeah. Um, so then that that kind of boils down to the question. It's like, so when do you think you would uh, you would call? You know, you you would do it. You would offer that. If 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 I ha- if I was doing a shoot where the budget was enough that I could afford to spend five or eight hundred dollars a day or whatever it costs to rent a setup. Uh huh. I would do it. You would, you know, if 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 it was just sitting on the, th- yeah. Well, it depends. If I was hand holding and stuff, well, if it, it was on a tripod, definitely. If 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 I was hand holding, well, let's let's also throw this in just as a curiosity. Um, would you also 
you know, budget for a digital tech or, you know, someone to basically, you know, oversee that so that you didn't have to worry about it? Or would you try and do that all by yourself? Uh, oh, well, if I was doing a shoot like that, I'd bring somebody in. Okay. You know. But but I wouldn't need it. But then again, I'm a much far, a much more technical photographer than most photographers. This is true. Um, I will say, though, that it makes me feel much better about my 5D <laughs> overall. Yeah. yeah, crazy. Like that I, thing's almost three years old now, too, right? It's almost three years old, and it looks so fucking good for the amount of money that it costs. Yeah, dude. You know? No doubt. Um, now, granted, I'm using really good glass with it and all the rest of it, but I didn't feel like when you left with those backs, I didn't feel like, oh, my God, my life is so much less than because I have to shoot with this little thing. <laughs> um, I basically felt like, okay, yeah, you just got spanked, little guy, but, you know you still do a really nice job. Yeah. Still um, good stuff. It, it kind of comes down to, I think at the point at which if I could get in an extra vision, something that was 28 or 32 megapixels, I think that I would be fine there for a while, you know, just sure. a little bit more and maybe a little bit more dynamic range and overall like color. Uh, but I don't think I need that much more, that well, many more pixels. And again, the other thing you have to keep in mind is that, um, these, and I'm a pixel peeper. You know? No, I know. But these the other thing that uh, that we've talked about already, but I just want to reiterate, which is pretty important, um, is that these cameras, I think it's safe to say that these cameras are, are generally designed for studio usage. Yeah. I think I think that I think that the guys who are making these things are, are that's their target demographic. Now there's no reason why you can't take a studio, you know, look at Ansel Adams. He took us freaking four by five or eight by sure. ten out out into the field. Um, but you know, generally speaking, those kinds of uh, of uh, cameras are used in, in in controlled environments where there's you know, you're not street shooting with a phase exactly. Camera. And you know, the user interface isn't that big of a deal yep. um, because you're not really going to be sitting there pl- playing with it for that. But you, you also know, really uh, don't want to shoot above ISO 100. Exactly. But, but my so, point is, you uh, kind of came up as you know, as a, as an SLR shooter, you know, as a yep. handheld shooter, who's, you know, and you're comfortable with the form factor. You're comfortable with, with, you know, with the design, the way it feels in your hands, the, the, that whole thing. Um, and, and that, that has a lot to, you know, to, that speaks to your, your choices sure. immensely, Absolutely. you know? So that's, that's why you're, you'll be less inclined. But I, I went to school with some folks, for example, who, uh, skipped right over the 35 thing and went straight to medium format. And, and I even, you know, today I know a couple of guys who would never dream of, of, you know, of an SLR. Like they, they'd only shoot with a, with a Canon or an Icon if, if that's what somebody asked them to, but their, their go-tos are the, are the Hasselblads and the RZs. Yeah. Um, just but, that's, you know, but I shot Hasselblad. I own a Hasselblad. I used to own an RZ mm-hmm. and yeah, it's, great i'm just saying it's, it's, it, it, yeah. let's not forget the whole personal preference thing i yeah, mean because that's personal a pretty... preference is part of it but i think yeah. that some of those people i mean we showed that you don't really need unless you're printing big you don't need that resolution so i think some of those people are fetishizing the the the, the act of shooting with a medium format camera because it is more of a pain in the ass mm-hmm. do you get more out of it yes but you're also f- self-flagellating a little <laughs> you know mm-hmm. um so I think some of those people are like, oh well, it's 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 a. Um, I think for some people it's a it's a status thing, as much as it is a image quality thing. That's a good point, point. Um, and and you know that also kind of backs things up where you know you get. I mean, we see this uh, on the lower level for sure. When when somebody's paying you X amount of dollars, uh, for a job, they're not going to want to see the same camera that they could get themselves at B and H hanging around your neck. You know, some some people out there actually really take that seriously, and they're like, "Oh, you're only using one of those? Well, I thought you were a professional." <laughs> yeah. You know, and then but, I think that scales up. You know, yes, yeah, but you know what? Jay Mazel uses a D3s. That's you fine. Know, with, but, with, but with one zoom lens, the guy who shoots the the White House photographer for the Obama uses a five D two. I understand. You know? I, understand. Uh, I think that I I I think that you're right that there but are those people out there. I think that those people are idiots. I'm not. I'm not going to say that they are. or They aren't. I mean, the, we, we, you, and I have these same sort of uh, um, prejudices uh, and, and all kinds of things, you know. Sure. Uh, and it's. But that's know. like. But that that's like saying that the car doesn't. The 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 driver doesn't matter. It's the car that wins the race, which is we both know is absurd. 
you know. I, I, but at the same time, if you you know that can actually be the the case for certain situations. Okay. I mean, look at yeah. look at you the put Formula. a Ferrari up against a Fiat, and the Ferrari's going to win. No, but look at Formula One racing, dude. Formula, you know about that stuff, right? With these, right. there's basically there's a really really strict set of rules that all these guys have to adhere to, yep. uh, and they have a very limited set of of you know there's a very rather rel, you know relatively limited set of variants that you can have. Um, um, but but still, that you know you could have the the most. Well, it's a good analogy, but that's sport, not art. There are rules there. <laughs> On purpose because that's the whole point of sports is to have rules, right? Okay. I don't know. I just I, I know what you're saying. I just think that I don't know. I just well, I don't have time for that kind of petty stuff. No, it's fine. My, my my but the point that I was trying to make before was more about um, how there are still some people out there, and, and and I'm talking about like in the in the fashion advertising commercial sure. world, not necessarily the documentation world, because yep. you know the, the two um, examples you were using, Jay Mizell and the guy from the White House, they there's technically you know documentary photographers. They, I mean they they shoot for magazines and newspapers. You know, not you know more editorial stuff, not necessarily commercial stuff. Not although Jay stuff. used to shoot all of the uh, Sports Illustrated swimsuit stuff too. Yeah, but he also shot on film. Yep. Um, and you know that was different. But the Go point is, room. yeah, and the, the point is, um, you know, if, if you're going to this big ass photo studio and you're dropping tens of thousands of dollars on sure. on on this photo shoot, you're, you're you know you better you're going to expect that whoever is working for you is going to be using, the, you know, the most expensive, fanciest-looking stuff available to them. Yeah, and if you have to, you rent. But I just think that that's... It's, it's that's some, just it's it. Some, Everybody rents, dude. Everybody it's, a, rents. it's a somewhat sta- sad... Not sad, but it's just like... It's sad that there are people who really think that way. You know, that it's the camera that makes the pictures and not the photographer. Whoa. And that if you're paying a photographer $10,000 or $15,000 a day or more, that you don't trust them to know what they need to get good pictures. I, I, I'm not disagreeing with you, but I think while, while, while I think it sucks, you have to have that. You, you can't just discount it. <laughs> you know, you, what are you, are you going to like say, no client, I will not take your $20,000 because you are an idiot. <laughs> no, but if, if the client walks in and goes, you know what? I don't want you to do it. Cause you're not using the camera that I expect you to be using. That's just, are you kidding me? What, what if they're offering you some money? What if someone says, you know what, you, yeah, I, I will give you this much money if you shoot this with this camera? Will you say sure. no? No, I'll, I'll, sure, I'll do that if that's really what they want. But I think that they should, they should trust the guy who's doing it, A. Or B, yeah, well, what if they say, oh, yeah, I really want you to shoot this with this original Canon Digital Rebel and we want to print, <laughs> you know, giant things of it. It's like, well, you're an idiot. 